Hi there. Welcome to HR Shop Talk. I'm your host, Andrea Adams. This show delves into the details of HR through conversations with smart, experienced, and successful professionals who've done the work. You can also find me on YouTube where you can interact with me and other people like yourself. Today, my guest for this experiment is Shannon Hughes. Shannon is a benefits advisor who works with employers to figure out what benefits are going to work for them and their employees. She's been doing this for 15 years. Hi, Shannon. How are you? Hi, I'm great. How are you? I'm good. So we are going to do something different today, and we're going to go through all the benefits that an employer can purchase through uh, an insurer. Uh, So the insurance companies all started, well, not all, but the big three have been around for over a hundred years and they started as life insurance companies. So life insurance is the first component that almost all benefit plans as a mandatory part, the, the component that has to be part of the benefit plan. Um, the life insurance on a benefit plan is challenging um, for the reason that it's never really meant to cover any one person's full needs um, because there's such diverse needs um, throughout an organization, right? So obviously the single person with no dependents isn't gonna need much life insurance, but someone, um, uh, a family with a mortgage is going to need a lot more coverage, right? So the life insurance on a group plan um, kind of just really is a placeholder and scratches the surface. And the way that that can be, some of the variations for that benefit, you can have a flat amount um, as low as $10,000 um, all the way up to, um, as far as a flat amount, it wouldn't generally go higher than a couple hundred thousand, um, or it can be um, based on your um, annual earnings and multiples of your annual earnings. So one, two, or three times your annual earnings. Uh, life insurance. This is only if an employee dies. Correct. Okay. So in that case, the employee designates a beneficiary. So they choose who they want to receive the proceeds in the event of their death. And um, yeah, it's in the event of the employee passing away. So we talked about life insurance. Check one, what's next? Well, accidental death and dismemberment insurance goes along with the life insurance and the plan design, it just mirrors whatever the life insurance is. So if it's $50,000 life insurance, it would be $50,000 AD&D. And that benefit kicks in in the event that the death is accidental and it doubles the life insurance amount essentially. Is it only in the event of a death? No, it can't be. Okay. No, because that's where the dismemberment part comes in. So there's a whole schedule of like gruesome part, you know, variations of limbs you could lose um, or, you know, uh, fingers and toes and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so then it, it pays out uh, based on that schedule if you suffer dismemberment as well or paralysis. Okay. Um, so after life insurance and accidental death, AD&D, what is next? Uh, the next bucket I would say would be uh, critical illness. Um, well, actually backing up, like speaking of the buckets, the benefits are kind of divided into to two buckets. The first would be for financial protection, and that would include the life in AD&D. It includes uh, critical illness, and then the disability insurance would be included in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other category would be really just protecting an employee's um, physical, like I said, physical and emotional well-being, and that would be the health and dental benefits. Um, so in the bucket of financial protection, critical illness, that's would come into play. Uh-huh. And that's a benefit that 
uh, covers um, ba that one of the variations is you can select how many critical illnesses you'd like to cover. Oh. Uh, the least, the most inexpensive way to buy that would be with the less uh, number of covered conditions. Yeah. Um, so that would be four covered conditions. And the standard ones are heart attack, stroke, and cancer. Hmm. Um, and you can go all the way up to 25 covered conditions. Okay. And the nice thing with that benefit, it's a lump sum tax-free benefit that pays out uh, after the employee has survived the waiting period. So um, there's a 30-day survival period. Um, which sounds a bit gruesome, but the employee has to survive in order to, to claim that benefit. And then, you know, when you're dealing with sickness, there's a lot of additional um, expenses that you incur. You could maybe need to make modifications to your home or, um, you know, if you're hospitalized, your family needs to be parking at the hospital or accommodations to stay near uh, near the hospital, things like that. Um, so there are no restrictions on what that benefit can be used to cover. So it can even just top up a loss of income for an employee as well. So. Uh, then we talk about uh, disability, short yeah. term, I presume. Yeah, that's right. So short term disability, not as common. It's quite an expensive benefit. And um, both short and long-term disability are often employee paid. Um, and that's because of a CRA rule that if the employee, or sorry, if the employer pays any portion of the premium, then the benefit automatically becomes a taxable benefit. Mm -hmm. So to get around that, it's usually employee paid. So um, the, the nice thing with short-term disability, it covers um, hospitalization, um, covers you know if you're if you're admitted for surgery um you'd be able to make a short-term disability claim uh it generally lasts has a benefit duration of up to four months mm -hmm. to coincide with the waiting period for long-term disability mm -hmm. so you, uh most common plan design for short-term disability is that you get that benefit a percentage of your weekly earnings for up to four months you say the premium for short-term disability is often employee paid are employees given a choice in this and i mean if they're going to pay for a benefit um usually they're going to want to have a say in whether or not they pay for it and in the short term when you're well they might not want to mm -hmm. that's one of the challenges is uh in a an employer sponsored benefit plan um that it has cost sharing with the employees of and it's a condition of their employment. It is tricky um, because if you've got a hundred employees, you know, you can't. It's not necessarily a great leadership to take a vote on it, or um, yeah. you know, it's it's challenging. So I think that's the job of the advisor is to make sure employees are really educated in what they're paying for, so you can get that buy-in. Yeah. Um, because we all believe we're not going to need any disability coverage, right? But I was actually just reading something today that. You're, I can't remember, just roughly um, at age 30, you have a 37% chance of being disabled more than 90 days at some, some point. Um, and by age 40, that goes up to 50%. Um, so, and you know, this short-term disability doesn't only cover workplace illnesses or injuries, it covers any illness or injury. So, um, you know, living in Calgary, how many people do we know have slipped on the ice and had an injury and had to be off work, right? Or yeah. uh, there's so many things that could happen. Okay. Uh, moving on to long-term disability, mm -hmm. uh, 
what, well, what is it? Um, what's the variation and what should employers know or people oh. in HR? Well, what it is, is like arguably the most important benefit that you can have access to in a group benefit plan. Mm -hmm. And it's the least sexy and people like, I, again, um, our nature is to believe that that's not going to happen to us and we won't need that benefit. Uh, but it can be income replacement for an employee all the way up to age 65, depending on the plan design. So that's significant um, and really can't be understated or overstated uh, how important that is, right? So um, as far as variations, um, I already mentioned it could pay up to age 65. But you, uh, an employer could choose different benefit periods. You could also choose a five-year period or a two-year period. Mm -hmm. And obviously, as you reduce the period that the benefit would pay, it lowers the cost of the benefit. Mm -hmm. um, and the reality is that the majority of long-term disability cases are resolved around that two-year mark. Um, so, you know, a two-year benefit is still um, meaningful to employees to give them income replacement for that time. And so I think we made it through bucket number one, the financial stuff. So now we're now moving on to the bucket number two, the physical and mental health stuff. What is in that bucket? Well, that's the health and dental and the healthcare spending account. So the, the financial bucket is the benefits we hope won't be used, right? Because uh, they're pretty catastrophic. Health and dental, we know we're going to be used. So the health insurance includes a number of elements, the uh, prescription drugs. The other health care includes medical services and supplies, which are things like um, diabetic uh, glucose monitoring pumps, um, CPAP machines. There's coverage for ambulance. So that's a very robust category. Another area of coverage on a health plan is emergency out-of-country coverage. That's a really important one. But I think a lot of people that I talk to don't even realize that that is a component of their um, health care plan. Um, but it's a really important one because that um, travel insurance is quite costly. It doesn't include um, trip cancellation or lost luggage or those kind of elements of travel insurance, but it's the really expensive um, medical coverage that's included on the group plan. Uh, and then vision. Vision is um, probably included on benefit plan 50% of the time, I would say. Um, it's quite costly to add. And in general, only 50% of the people will ever claim it because only 50% of us wear glasses, right? So, um, but employees do attach a lot of value to the vision coverage when they have it. Where does some, um, you know, things like physio and acupuncture and chiropractic and all that fit in? Right. So the last bucket would be paramedical practitioners, which I, yeah, I was just going to do a recap and see if I forgot anything. Um, so the paramedical practitioners, again, probably the one of the highest valued benefits that an employer can offer to their employees. Um, and they're great because they give an employee an ability to the ability to proactively take care of their health, right? So going to the chiropractor, going to the physiotherapist, massage therapy, psychology, which hmm. is still very rarely used on a group plan. Um, in my experience, it almost never even shows up on the, the data that we look at. But, so that coverage for paramedical practitioners, that can be one of the biggest cost drivers on a benefit plan. So when we're looking at increasing costs, Prescription drugs is one big category, but the paramedics are also big cost drivers because 
that insurance component isn't really there. Insurance is meant to cover unexpected things. Your regularly scheduled appointment with your chiropractor or your masseuse is an anticipated expense, right? So I find that, and this is from both, I suppose, an administrative perspective and from an employee perspective, that knowing what's covered under your uh, health plan I mean, it's hard, you know, there's a million categories and percentages of this kind of coverage and that kind of coverage. I, is there any way to simplify that? Well, I spend my day trying, uh, you know, that's a big part of my role as an, an advisor, um, because I always tell my clients that if they're paying for a benefit plan as an employer that their employee doesn't know about, then they're just flushing that money down the toilet, right? So it is really important that the employees understand what they're covered for and how to access it. Um, so I think like staying away from jargon is really important when we're communicating about the benefit plan. Mm-hmm. Um, I create a benefits at a glance for clients that just covers off on the most commonly claimed things or commonly asked about things. Um, doing employee education sessions and encouraging employees to review their benefit booklet as well mm-hmm. and educate themselves, especially if they're paying a, a portion of the premium. You want to take a, a drip approach and just keep, you know, providing employees with a little bit of information here and there about what they're covered for and uh, eventually they'll get the message, right? So what's a health spending account? Well, a health spending account gives a ton of flexibility to an employee. It's basically just a bucket of tax-free money or an account of tax-free money that the employee can access and they can choose what they want to spend it on. So it's mandated by Canada Revenue Agency. And so in order to keep it non-taxable, um, the thing, there's a prescribed list of what's eligible to be claimed through it. And basically it's anything that you could claim on your taxes or through the Income Tax Act as an eligible medical expense can be claimed through the health spending account. So um, really the most commonly commonly claimed things are any health care or dental care expenses that aren't fully covered by the benefit plan the remainder can go through the healthcare spending account if a benefit plan is set up with no vision care then you know glasses can go through the health spending account okay so i have heard of uh, health spending accounts that are taxable you know you can charge over your gym pass yeah so that's called a taxable spending account or a wellness account and cra has nothing to do with that it's basically just taxable income to the employees. So whatever they claim through that account is added to their taxable, their T4 at the end of the year. And that gives a lot of flexibility. In my time, I've seen some really funny things go through the wellness account. I've seen one uh, energy company that I used to work with, they had uh, employees claiming guns and ammunition through there for hunting, like hunting rifles and ammunition. And um, they had to decide if they were okay with that. And I think at the end of the day, they they decided it's if that's those employees version of wellness then that's okay it's not up to them to dictate um but some organizations like to really put a tight restriction on what can go through that wellness account um just really depends on the philosophy of the the plan sponsor or the employer so those are all the benefits i can think of is there any more that i've missed yes um so the employee and family assistance program of course yeah so i should attack that on to healthcare, but yeah that's something that obviously during the pandemic uh, a lot of organizations that before said we probably don't need this um, have been more interested in looking into it Um, and basically what it 
the, the biggest advantage or the biggest offering through that program is counseling services. Um, and it does have so much more to offer, but that's what it's uh, best known for. Um, and those are great programs because um, we talked about the paramedical coverage, you know, maybe being $300 a year, or $500 a year of coverage per practitioner is a common plan design. Well, a psychologist costs $200 an hour, right? So, um, so that's not going to get an employee very far. So an employee and family assistance plan can be a really great tool um, to provide additional counseling to an employee. It's generally short-term solution-focused counseling, but sadly the employee assistance plans are, in my opinion, really underutilized. Mm -hmm. And actually the use during the pandemic even went down further when it should have been going the other direction. For employees that have access to a plan, like the average is seven to 9% of them are using the, the employee assistance plan. So there's a lot of opportunity for um, promoting those and um, offering more resources to employees. Um, are EFAPs uh, expensive? No, they generally cost between, depends on the type that you want or how, how comprehensive you want it. So between three and $7 per employee per month. Mm -hmm. um, so in the whole scheme of things, um, if that's a, a really meaningful tool to, you know, promote uh, mental health and mm -hmm. enhance engagement and productivity, that's cheap, right? So, yes. um, so no, they're not really expensive. Well, thanks, Shannon, that was helpful. Uh, we've reached the end of this episode. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time when I talk shop with another insightful guest.